Blaine for breakfast. Well, we are commemorating this morning uh, Remembrance Day. It was on that day, the 11th of the 11th, 1918. The guns fell silent as it signified the end of World War One. What I wanted to talk about this morning is how... The goldfields was, um, I guess, affected throughout the war years, particularly World War One, but throughout other campaigns as well. Joining me to have a chat about it is uh, Tim Cordini. He is the heritage officer down at the Goldfields War Museum. Good morning, Tim. Good morning. First of all, what was the general sentiment around the goldfields during the war years? At the beginning of the First World War, the sentiment was actually quite joyful. When the war started in August 1914, at that time, the annual race round actually occurred in August. Right. And people were, as they do now, getting ready with all their outfits and, yeah, and yeah. getting ready for their parties. And so the announcement of the beginning of the war kind of took a, uh, a little bit of that excitement from the, the race round momentarily um, for, f- towards the war. There was a lady who was uh, a writer of the ladies' column uh, for the Kalgoorlie Miner, and she wrote, At this season of the year, the usual talk is of nothing but the races, but even that all-absorbing topic has now taken second place while the war prospects and horrors are filling everyone's mind. The announcement of the re- the war really took away some of the excitement of the race round that year. It was um, a massive news at the time. Obviously, it's hard to comprehend um, what that actually meant to the people at the time. But I guess there was a, probably a little bit of excitement, but a hell of a lot of unknown as well uh, about what actually was going on on the other side of the world. Although the Goldfields had gone through a, a small war once before sure. the uh, the Boer War yeah. in South Africa, 1899 to uh, 1902, but we hadn't lost very many people in that war. Uh, and so there, there was quite a lot of uncertainty as to what would happen. It was quite an interesting time because we were kind of, uh, it was only a matter of years before we were coming out of the gold rush days and we had a very, very young kind of population in Western Australia at the time. Um, so how did that affect, how did that transition happen, I guess, from um, the gold rush days and then all of a sudden the turn of the century and, you know, 15 years later we're heading into war? Well, yeah, that's right. A lot of those men that had come over during the gold rush had brought young families with them. So by the time the war started, those kids that had come here during the gold rush had grown up and were uh, 20, 21, 22, the mm. ripe age for, sure. for joining the war. And what kind of role did the goldfields play during, um, during the Great War um, in terms of, um, I guess, local people power and also resources? So w- when the first 187 marched out of Kalgoorlie on the 17th of August, 1914, Hannon Street was packed with family, friends and well-wishers who had gathered to see them off. There were patriotic cheers, songs and men and women utterly overcome with emotion. As the war progressed, though, things began to change. Seven Goldfields men died on the first day of the Gallipoli Gallipoli campaign, and seven more before the papers even started reporting it. After reports emerged about the losses at Gallipoli during May 1915, uh, Boulder publican David Donaldson generously offered £700 to the Boulder Municipal Council to erect a monument to these soldiers. The offer was accepted, and he began working on designs. David's own son was killed in May 1918, and the memorial, by the time it was unveiled in July 1920, had taken on incredible significance for the community. While the Second World War was very much fought on Australian soil, we often think of the First World War as sort of happening over there in Europe, but the effects of the war were felt in Australia. Uh, For one example, throughout the war, there began to be shortages of certain goods, so uh, corn flour, sugar and butter at different times, Um, and this culminated in a butter shortage early in 1917. And there was actually actually a shop on the corner of Hannon and Wilson Streets that managed to procure a quantity of butter. And there was a rush of local people to wow. that shop to try and uh, get butter. Yeah. yeah, hard to believe today. Absolutely. Yeah. The worst week 
uh, for the goldfields during the war occurred in July 1916 uh, when we had 75 men killed. Wow. And then uh, there was in August 19, 1916, uh, there was an, another week where 74 men were killed. The Goldfields War Museum over the last um, about 10 years has has been building together uh, lists and databases sure. of the men who went to the First World War. So we've gathered over 3,600 names. Wow. And that includes uh, 10 women who went away to the, to the war as nurses. Yep, yep. How many of them really came back? Well, of those 3,600, around about 768 died wow. that we know of at the so, moment. So, yeah, that's a, it's a fair, um, fair that, contribution, wasn't it? Yes, and that doesn't in, uh, bring to mind all of the men who were also wounded. A lot of men came back with physical injuries and yep. also mental injuries from fighting in the war. Did the goldfields have any industry that was really kind of brought to the forefront during those war years? Yes. At, at the beginning of 1916, they be, the Australian Imperial Force began recruiting for the, the tunnelling companies. Right. And having so many men here involved in mining, um, being all really good diggers. Yeah, yeah, of course. The area here was right for recruitment for those sorts of men. And they actually raised the age limit of the Australian Imperial Force from 35 to 50 so that they could recruit experienced miners. Wow. And when you look at the statistics, you see uh, a spike in enlistment here during that time period, the beginning of 1916, when a lot of those older men uh, rushed to play their part. How did people recover across the goldfields post-World War One? Like, what was the morale like? What was the economy looking like? And I guess we're living in COVID times at the moment. And I'm wondering about diseases that may have been brought back, such as Spanish flu and the likes. The Spanish flu was quite feared here mm. uh, toward, towards the end of the war. The uh, local authorities were actually um, afraid the, the local authorities had actually asked the federal government to close the Trans-Australian Railway because they were worried that it would bring the infection over into Western Australia. And they managed to negotiate to get quarantine camps set up along the Trans-Australian Railway coming into Western Australia to, to sort of halt the spread of the, the virus. There was a period there um, that uh, people of the goldfields um, didn't consider themselves uh, part of Western Australia, wasn't it? So how was, or, or part of Australia for that matter, they even kind of, there was a referendum to even have their own state there for a little while. How, what was the sentiment like to actually fighting for Australia and the Crown? Was was that an issue at, for that period? No, absolutely not. They Everyone in the goldfields at the time was incredibly patriotic and you'd find that there were a lot of uh, patriotic gatherings where they sung um, Rural Britannia and all yeah. sorts of very British songs. Sure. And they were all very proud to go off marching to fight for the king, yep. king and country. And that includes a lot of the, I guess, uh, migrant population that was still in the um, in the region after the gold, gold rush, I guess. We had a population of around about a thousand Italians, Yugoslavs and Austrians that right. were living out on the woodline and they weren't really well tolerated. Uh, a lot of the Austrians were the enemies at the time and they were sent from the goldfields to um, a prisoner of war camp on Rottnest Island. I'm interested in how commemorations have changed and possibly how these troops were welcomed back following the war um, and the and the years that uh, that went on after that in commemorating, I guess, Remembrance Day and even Anzac Day and, and days like that, that we they really do appreciate the, the war efforts. Well, Anzac Day was first observed in Kalgoorlie and Boulder in 1916 and the ceremonies were very patriotic and religious in nature. 
uh, and they lean slightly more towards being celebratory sure. than being commemorative. Um, and as well as church services in Kalgoorlie, there was a large concert that was held at the Kalgoorlie Town Hall in the evening and uh, patriotic songs were sung by a choir. And the, the day in Boulder was actually a bit more solemn. In the morning, children at Boulder Central School planted three wattle trees in remembrance of the students from the school who had fallen. And then they held a concert at the Boulder Town Hall where patriotic songs were sung. And, but both towns during the war put a large emphasis on raising money for the troops. And uh, just at that concert that they held, Boulder raised 400 pounds, which was quite a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. At um, the time. The observance of Anzac Day continued and was well supported for, for a lot of years. The local RSL sub-branches were really strong in membership after sure. the war. And so the clubs often held big reunion dinners for their members and large social gatherings. But the, um, the memorials in Kargoorlie and Boulder continued f- for a long time to be the site of the commemorations. But um, Kalgoorlie and Boulder generally tended to follow national trends. And uh, after the Second World War, attendance at Anzac Day and Remembrance Day sort of waned a bit. Mm. And Anzac Day was first observed as a public holiday in 1972. But local miners here in Kalgoorlie and Boulder still had to work. Yep. Um, and they were first allowed the day off for Anzac Day in 1975. Wow. So the Kalgoorlie miner prior to, the, to that event in 1975 remark, was remarking about the lost significance of Anzac Day. Um, but the, the Kalgoorlie RSL president on that occasion was actually optimistic about Vietnam veterans joining the march. In, in 1977, the Boulder ceremony uh, attracted around 200 people, so still decent numbers, mm. but uh, perhaps not as many as we have today. Sure. Um, in 1985, the Anzac Day turnout was proclaimed the best in years. Wow. So you can sort of see interest start to pick up again. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was due in part to people realizing that we were down to the last sort of handful of World War One veterans and, and mm. people would have to play a larger part now. For sure. And uh, obviously in your work, working down at the Goldfields um, Museum, is there any real stories that you've heard that have really stood out in, in your memory as just really interesting stories that have come back from the war years? Well, I've got a good one for you here at the uh, radio station. Sure. Prior to the Second World War, there was a, a fellow called Ed, um, Edward Harold Hanson. He was actually worked at the radio station here. Wow. On the children's program. He was known as Uncle Eddie. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the Second World War, he was in the RAAF and he uh, flew bombers in the Pathfinder squadrons in in Europe. And he was actually, um, tells a story of how he was flying over the beach at... Um, uh, sunrise on D-Day. So they used to lead the um, the bombers in and show them where to go. Um, and so he won the Distinguished Flying Cross for his efforts during the Second World War. Tim, thank you very much for coming in and having a chat with us and telling us these uh, wonderful stories this morning. Thank you very much for having me.